Good morning. Welcome. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the, the pastors here at City on a Hill, and we're, we're glad you made it, whether or not it was a, a little late because it was a little, a little dark and kind of the sleety snow sort of thing going on and, and maybe hard to get out of bed. doesn't matter. We are glad you're here. Glad if you can only uh, make it by joining on, online. We're glad uh, that you're with us this morning. Our passage today is going to be uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Uh, if you want to, if you have a Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, if you want to grab the one in front of you, or if you have that little booklet uh, we kind of handed out at the beginning that we, with space to take notes, um, we are going to start there. And normally we would uh, read the whole kind of passage at the beginning, pray, and then talk about it. This morning, because it is such a big passage, we're going to go uh, a good chunk into chapter 5. We are going to pray first, and then kind of break it into three chunks. And as we talk about it, uh, we'll read the passage. Um, so at first, uh, when Dave told me I was preaching on this passage, my kind of thought was, uh, if you know what's coming, it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? And Dave kind of already mentioned it. We're talking about giving, super exciting topic. If you remember before, I had to talk about church discipline and kind of that mutual accountability in the church. So my, my first thought was, oh, thanks, Dave. You've given me a, a couple of a real good winners here. Uh, <laughs> but then I started studying it and kind of finding answers to the questions I was having as I was reading it and seeing the different ways it was challenging me and, and that I was growing from it. And then I was excited to share with you guys this morning what it had been doing in my heart, and hopefully, and my hope is for you guys, that God will be doing something similar in your heart to uh, grow you and make you more like Christ. So let's pray together this morning and just ask for his help. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning that we have the chance to, to gather together as a local church and, and worship you corporately. To, to study your word corporately. Pray for your help this morning. I need your help. Give me, give me peace of mind, wisdom, and discernment to know how to explain your word. Pray for all of us for, for humble hearts and, and clear minds. We'd be ready to receive your word. And would you be working through your word to be changing us and changing our hearts to be more like your son. We pray all these things in the name of that son, Amen. So today we're going to be talking about kind of three lessons that we can take from this, this story, this narrative of Ananias and Sapphira. And kind of one of the things that influenced me and, and kind of my points is a, a Bible study tool called SPEC, if you've ever heard of it, literally S-P-E-C-K. And uh, it goes something like this, sin to avoid or confess, promise to trust, Example to follow, command to obey, or knowledge of God. And what it is, is it's giving you these kind of five things, whether you're studying the Bible as a group or at home in your devotionals, that you can look for as you're reading and kind of combats that thing I hear so often from different people is, yeah, I'm like doing my devotionals, I read the, the three chapters or the chapter or whatever your Bible reading plan is for today, didn't really feel like I got anything out of it. You can kind of go through spec and kind of help you draw out application from those passages, and I find it especially helpful for narratives, right? It's kind of a story, it's a historical retelling of what was happening in the early church, 
It doesn't say, and it's not like, like Paul's letters, for example, saying, do this, don't do this, and a bunch of commands where it's easy to say, yeah, I'll just do that or, or I won't do that. So my, my kind of first point here is that example to follow, and that's Barnabas's uh, generous giving. And that starts in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. So first is the example to follow, Barnabas's generous giving. So hopefully you found your way there by now. You're going to start reading in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here we have a picture of of what the church was like at this point in Acts, right? There's unity, uh, looking at verse 32, right? They're saying they're of one heart and soul. Um, there's, there's the sacrificial generosity, right? People are selling fields and houses and things, property they owned, and, and giving that to the church to provide for the needy. And we're told about this specific example of this, and this, this gentleman named Barnabas who sold uh, a field and, and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And as you're reading this and kind of uh, seeing how they're describing it, I think there's a couple ditches we can fall into and misunderstand. So there are two, two ways you could interpret it, and I'm, I'm saying let's not interpret it this way, or this is not what they're trying to say. So one, one way you could interpret it and you shouldn't is you could look at verse 32 and say, well, uh, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, so the ideal of the church is this sort of like communist, socialist sort of society where no one has private property and you all kind of just like donated it all together and we're all sharing everything and everything belongs to everyone and no one and all this at the same time. That's not what it's saying here, right? Uh, Barnabas still had a bunch of other fields or houses or something, presumably. He just says he sold a field and, and donated that money to the church. The other kind of uh, a ditch you could fall into is you could look at verse 34 and say, um, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and say, well, I got to take like all my valuables and got to sell all that and donate it to the church and then have nothing. So, so one, you would be needy then, so that's kind of counterproductive. But the, the intent here is not that you sell everything you have and, and make this life of uh, the technical term is like asceticism, but basically like give up having possessions and I'm, you know, live off the land or, or God's going to provide or, or different things like that. Uh, no, Barnabas uh, had other property, but he sold a field. So it is a sacrificial gift, but it's not like we're giving up um, property or, or being a Christian or being a follower of Jesus means you can't, can't own anything. It's more like uh, Pastor Dave brings... Uh, like a need before the congregation saying, you know, we have such and such family in the, in the church or these families in the church need some, some help and so we're raising money for them. And then you go and, and sell some stocks 
Or maybe you got into the, you know, Bitcoin 10 years ago and now you're secretly wealthy and just haven't told us or something like that. And you're, you're selling your Bitcoin, you're selling your, your Tesla stock that you wisely or foolishly invested in a long time ago. And, and taking that money from, from those things and, and giving it to the church to provide for those, those needy people. So um, it's not just, oh, we have money sitting in the bank to, to give away. You know, those things are good. They're, they're literally kind of liquidating their property to be able to provide for um, the needy in the church. So when we're thinking about Barnabas' example and the example of the early church, and, and how, do we, how do we take this, how do we apply it to our lives, obviously the most um, straightforward kind of application is for us to be sacrificial, generous, joyful givers. For us to be sacrificial, generous joyful givers. And my heart in bringing this up uh, to us, our church family, is not to say, like, we're really bad at this, like, we don't know where Dave and I's next paycheck is coming from, we're going to pass the plates, and we're going to keep passing them until we fill it up, or something like that, right? The church is in a great spot, and our church is a generous church, and so in one sense, we do talk about it a lot because every, every Sunday when we're talking about um, the announcements, we're talking about worship, we're talking about how it's an act of worship. And in another sense, thankfully, Dave and I don't have to come up here and be like, you know, give, 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 and be like this huge thing because our legacy and our church is a generous church. Uh, this happened before my wife Michelle and I came to this church but I think about the story of when we first purchased this building, right? Everything happened pretty fast. And then it was kind of a little bit before Christmas. Dave kind of explains everything. We need commitment cards in two weeks. And then you had three months to actually give. And then even though the church was significantly smaller at that time, we were able to raise over $200,000. Obviously, we were able to, to get into the building. And um, uh, to me, even just hearing that story... What a, what a picture of, of generosity, sacrificial giving for the mission of reaching Fitchburg, reaching the Madison area for the gospel and, and God's mission here. So you are, if you're a regular tender, if you're a member here, you're a part of a generous church. But what I want to kind of put on your heart or ask you is, are you a generous person or is your family generous a lot of times, I think the temptation for us is to say, or to, to strive after retaining as much as you possibly can, or saving as much as you possibly can, or things like that, instead of being as generous as you possibly can. But this is what Acts 20, verse 35 says. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So the, the natural bent of our culture and our hearts and all, all this other stuff is to, to save, hold for me, be selfish with, with our money. And Jesus is calling us to, to kind of flip that around and say, when we're, when we're budgeting, when we're, we're thinking about what we have, our assets and our resources and things like that, we should be thinking about how can we be as generous as possible with that and I'll be more, more blessed or most blessed by thinking about my money this way 
rather than thinking about how can I save as, as much as possible. And again, it doesn't mean you don't save any money. Again, right, we're not selling all of our fields or property or anything like that, but we are trying to be as generous as possible while still kind of maintaining those God-given responsibilities. So, so for us and, and for uh, our congregation, again, want to encourage us as a church, we're doing this really well. I want you as an individual to kind of evaluate where am I at and maybe uh, just us as a con- congregation take that next step of faithfulness, wherever that is for you and your family. So some of us, maybe you've never given ever before. Next step of faithfulness would be something like give once or give something. Maybe you have given before. That's kind of been irregular, that sort of thing. Uh, establish a pattern of, of regular giving. Maybe you are giving regularly, but you haven't kind of reached that, that tithe, that 10%. That's kind of a, a good, good goal. Maybe, maybe you're increasing to that, that 10%, that proportion of, of your income. And maybe you're already giving 10%, or maybe you're already giving more. Is there, is there more kind of radical generosity that you can do? And if you're, if, if you're in any of these kind of situations, any of these buckets, and you're like, uh, like I don't know, or feel like you need some help, be happy to, to talk through that with you, whether it's me or Pastor Dave or one of the elders. If you're in the place where you're like, I don't, like barely making ends meet, or I'm not making ends meet, and can't possibly think how, how be able to give, um, definitely come talk to us. Uh, I think Dave's mentioned before, we want you to be either receiving from the church or giving to the church, and so we'd love to uh, be able to bless you and use kind of the generosity of others to, to provide for you in that way or kind of have those conversations. So that was the obvious application, generous, joyful, sacrificial giving. But there's kind of another detail here, and that's Barnabas laid his gift at the apostles' feet. I'm looking at uh, verse 37 of chapter 4. He laid his gift at the apostles' feet. This suggests a sort of submission to the authority of, of the elders and, the, and kind of the local church with, with his giving. We're, we're placing it under the elders' authority for them to steward and use for God's mission. And obviously things like maintenance of the building we bought or paying our pastors, which I'm super thankful for. Um, it also means that our kind of regular giving tithe should be towards kind of the church and placed under their authority. So here I'm not saying, don't hear me say this, that you can't donate to like missionaries or other organizations like that or, or local nonprofits or, or things like that. What, I'm, what I am saying is uh, kind of the, the primary or the regular should be uh, to, to the church and to, to this mission happening here. So that's, that's one piece of this. I also kind of wanted to just take this opportunity while we're talking about kind of spiritual authority and, and placing yourself under that is um, how or where you're, where's your heart or how do you respond when your pastors or your elders kind of encourage you uh, to do something, whether that's serving or, or we're having a prayer night this Tuesday. We're not having a prayer night this Tuesday. We had it last Tuesday. But if we're having a prayer night and we're saying it's really valuable, you should come how, what, what is the response in your heart? Now, I'm not even talking about were you there or not, or if you had something going on. I'm talking about was it, I need to like seriously consider this, like make an effort to participate, 
if, if they're saying it's valuable, like I need, need to give it its fair shot, or is it kind of like, cool, it's like a, a week off from, from small group? Or when we say, you should be involved in a small group, is it like, yeah, that's, that's kind of a, that's a nice thought, yeah, we should, we should maybe do that. Or is it like, okay, this is, if they're saying this is valuable and this is important for having community within the church, but not just here on, here on Sunday mornings, I should uh, really give this a serious thought, a serious kind of, kind of shot, um, or is it kind of like, yeah, that's, that's nice, I'm sure that would be, be helpful for someone. So those, are, so those are kind of the two examples to follow from the early church and from Barnabas, that generous, sacrificial, joyful giving, and that kind of submission to the authority of, of the elders. Second big point is the sin to avoid, and that's uh, Ananias and Sapphira's lie. We're picking it up in Acts chapter 5, verse 1, taking all the way to verse 11. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. That's quite the story, isn't it? I mean, some of us have been in church and we're like, oh yeah, they, they dropped dead and it's, you know, it's just what happened. But for those of, those of us who haven't, maybe it's the first time reading it, or maybe you just even think about your own life. Like I've lied before, did not drop dead. But, but here we are in this story, probably one of the kind of most confusing sections and definitely in this passage we're talking about today, maybe even in, in what we've talked about in Acts so far. So I want to slow down a little bit and talk through some things. Um, there's a few questions even I had. Uh, maybe you're the master of, of Acts already, and, and you know all these things. But even as I was studying, there's a few questions I had. I was like, I'm not, not really sure what's uh, going on here, and, and kind of want to talk through those. Um, when we're, we're preaching or giving the word, we want to have application. You know, there's things things to do, ways to grow. We also want to walk away understanding the passage. So kind of the, the first question I had was, why does Peter say uh, to Ananias in verse 3 that Satan filled his heart or their heart to lie? What is, what is going on there? I think he's using this phrase to describe kind of what Ananias is doing, what Satan is doing. And I think that could be misunderstood 
uh, in, again, a couple different ways. And we want to have a, a balanced view of, of the activity of Satan and demons in, in general. So, so on one hand, we have to remember that Satan is still active. and he's, still, he's prowling around the earth like a lion, seeking for people to devour. He's tempting. He's deceiving. And in that sense, Satan is still, still around, something we need to be aware of. And Ananias is vulnerable to this because he's not being filled with the Spirit or not being filled with, with the fruit of the Spirit. On the other hand... Obviously, uh, Ananias is not portrayed as, as an innocent party, right? Because he gets struck down dead, right? <laughs> so he's, he's still culpable. And, and if we, um, I don't have it on the slides today, but, but 1 Corinthians 10, 10, 13 tells us that no temptation is, is overtaking you that's not coming to man, but God will provide a way of escape with, with his help, so that you can endure it. In other words, there's never a time when you're tempted and you absolutely have to give in, where it's just totally outside of your control, and I was just tempted so much that I just had to sin, and it's, it's outside of you. So on one hand, Satan is still active. He's still tempting. He's still deceiving, and we need to be on guard for that, putting on our armor, right, in communion with God, in, in um, communion with his spirit and his Holy Spirit, being filled with the fruit of the spirit. On the other hand, we don't want to be fatalistic about it and say, well, Satan's you know, this, this kind of all-powerful being and he's just forcing me to do evil things and there's no hope because he's just that powerful, right? With God's help, we can resist the uh, attacks of, of the devil, but we also need to be preparing ourselves for that and not just pretending that he doesn't exist. So that was my first question. What's, what's going on there? Second question is, isn't it lying to Peter, right? It says um, he's lying to the Holy Spirit. When, when Peter rebukes Ananias, saying, Satan filled your heart to lie to the, the Holy Spirit. Now, to me, it seems like he's lying to Peter. Like Peter was like, hey, did you sell the land for this much? And he's like, yeah, and, and lies to his face. <clears throat> Doesn't seem like lying to the Holy Spirit, but... And we talked about this, um, I think it was Dave's message in the, the Spirit-filled church, right? The Spirit fills believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So in that sense, he's been lied to the Holy Spirit. In another sense, the Holy Spirit fills, creates, sustains the church. And so when Ananias and Sapphira made this pledge to the church, said, yeah, we'll sell this field, we'll give you the the proceeds from it, and then came back and said, well, we sold it for 20000 but we'll really give you fifteen, and, and say we sold it for fifteen. They're lying to, not just to Peter, but to the church, and they're lying not just to the church, but to the Holy Spirit that fills and sustains and, and kind of birthed the church. So uh, I bring this up not to um, make you feel really, really bad, about how much of a sinner you are, that there is this sense in which we have a greater picture of our sin, and we're not just lying to each other or hurting each other, but we're, our, our sin is an offense against God. I think that's good for us to see that, but not just to stay there and say, well, look how, how wicked I am. We also need to go to the cross and say, uh, I have this clear picture of, of my sin and the wickedness of my own heart and see how much greater Jesus' sacrifice was for us when, in his mercy and his love toward us than we, 
I even see I'm even worse than I thought I was, and, and still Jesus died for that. Right? That's not a surprise to him. He knew how bad we were. He, know, he knows how bad we are. He knows how, how wicked we will be even after receiving his gift, and still he died for me. So the point is not, I need to feel really, really bad. The point is that, that Jesus would be more glorified in our hearts because we see uh, more clearly what he saved us from. So now we, we have these kind of two questions out of the way that kind of stumbled upon. We come to the climax of the story, or the big question. What the heck happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Like, what is going on here? There's lots of ideas ranging from totally ludicrous to maybe plausible. So I'll maybe summarize the two kind of main position really smart people have uh, written books about. Uh, first is that they died of, of natural causes, something like a heart attack, in response to the shock of kind of this miraculous Peter finding out about this, this secret colluding that they've had and kind of being found out all at the same time. So, so Ananias comes in, says, no one could possibly know what this is, um, tells him he sold the field for 15000 when it was really 20000 They obviously uh, don't tell us. Um, and Peter's like, you're lying. And, and somehow, we don't know how, Peter already knew, and just the shock of being found out, has a heart attack and dies. And then Sapphira comes in three hours later, and then on top of those two things, finds out in that exact same moment that her husband is dead and didn't know it yet, and so she uh, has a heart attack also and, and dies. So that's, that's kind of one idea. The other idea um, is that it was some sort of act of God. And if this was of God's kind of justice on them for, for lying to him, lying to the Holy Spirit, lying to the church. And if it is this, this is definitely isn't our favorite type of miracle, right? Like we like the story of Jesus where he's healing the, the man who was blind from birth or, or the paralytic or casting out demons or things like that um, that show God's love and his mercy towards us. And here we're also learning something about God, or reminded about something about God, that he's also the God of justice. And God's justice should also be a comfort to us, that one day everything will be made right. <laughs> and we have a, have a fuller and better picture of, of who God is, but it's also um, just a little bit kind of more difficult. But I wanted to bring up uh, Romans 6.23. I know a lot of us already have this memorized, but... For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's not, that, it's not that Jesus is being especially cruel here. He's actually just uh, holding them accountable or, or executing justice on, on what they actually deserve. What we've all deserved when we sinned is death. And so the point, again, is not to think, oh, God is is somehow cruel or, or something like there. The point is to think about how merciful and gracious he is to us because I've sinned plenty of times in my life. I've lied plenty of times in my life and he didn't strike me down dead and to appreciate his, his mercy toward us. But when it comes down to it, we, we just don't know. Did they have a heart attack? Was it kind of a miraculous act of God? Was it something else smart people haven't thought of yet? You know, we, we just don't know. But what I, what I want us to think about 
kind of what happened here and what lessons we can take from it. So it's not that they didn't donate enough to the church. So it wasn't like, if you don't start selling your property, guys, and, and give, God's going to strike you down. So don't hear me say that. It's not that um, they kept some of it back. So if they had pledged like, hey, we're going to sell this field and we're going to give you three quarters of it and we're going to keep a quarter of, of our own, that would have been totally fine, right? Peter, when he's talking to Sapphira, is like, it was yours. It was under, under your stewardship, under your control. You sold it and it was still yours. That's not the issue here. The issue is that they lied about it and they lied, lied to the church about it. <clears throat> So when we're thinking about, okay, how do, how do we apply this to our lives? One of the ways is married couples. Again, great example of what not to do in your marriage. Whether it was Ananias' idea or Sapphira's idea, right? If it was Ananias' idea, right, he's headship over his family. He's supposed to be kind of setting the spiritual direction from his home. If he's like, hey, I have this great idea. We told him we would give him the money for the whole property. Let's give him like... A, a portion. We'll just tell them we sold it for that much, and then we'll be able to keep some, get ourselves something nice, right? He's, he's setting the, the spiritual direction of his, his home to deceive, to get things you want, which, which will go great for him when his, his children see that and emulate that. That'll be great. Um, and then Sapphira, you know, if it was his leading, she was like, great, let's do it, right? I mean, we're, we're called to kind of, kind of um, follow that, that spiritual direction that's being set, but first and foremost, primarily to God. So obviously, this is against God's word. So uh, uh, Sapphira, as the wife, should have been like, no, that's, that's a terrible idea. Like, we shouldn't do that. I'm not going to collude with you for this, like, secret scheme um, and should be uh, kind of against that. Or if it was her idea, right, again, not super helpful um, being like, hey, I have this great idea. Let's, let's do this as a, as a family. So again, married couples, uh, not a great example of, of kind of submission, not a great example of, of setting spiritual direction for your home. Uh, so would, would you say kind of, let's, let's avoid that in our marriages uh, in, the, in the church. But the, uh, something else um, kind of want us, want us to think about here is ultimately... Their actions, this lying, kind of flowed from their thoughts and from their heart. So what is, what is, what is in their hearts or what led them to get to this, to this place where they pledged one thing to the church and then lied and gave them this other thing? See, lying is very often a way to either shield yourself from the natural consequences of your sin or to get something that you otherwise couldn't. So in this situation, uh, they can't get both the reputation of, of generosity by um, giving everything from selling this, this piece of land and withholding some of that money to, to spend it however they were going to spend it or save it or whatever they were going to do. They can't have both if they're being honest. So if I lie and say, this is how much I sold it for, then I can have both, right? So I want us to think about in what way am I tempted to lie? Or in what way do I lie? Is there um, um, something like this, uh, a sin, which is kind of, kind of a pet sin, we just kind of keep it over there, don't really um, 
It isn't known because the, the natural consequence of my sin, like, right, I'm, I'm up late on the computer, and if my wife found out, there would be consequences for my marriage, so I'm just not going to tell her, I'm going to hide it from her, I'm going to lie, and then I'm, my marriage is, is sustained, and then I can keep doing this, this sin, right? I'm, I'm protecting myself from the consequences of my sin, that way I can kind of keep doing this sin, right? Is there something where I'm, I'm tempted to, to lie or or am deceiving, am hiding to, to protect that sort of idol in my life. I think sometimes we as a church, or, or even maybe it's believers in the American church in general, I'm not really sure. I think a lot of times the temptation is to think like, yeah, I don't, I don't really lie anymore. Like, or I'm not, I'm not really tempted to lie. It's, it's not something I, I struggle with or whatever. Uh, and, my, and if that's true, that's, that's awesome. But I want us to be searching our hearts and, and saying, is that the case? So for me, this kind of, the temptation is always uh, when, like, praise of man is on the line or, or people's um, opinions of me is on the line. I know some of you are thinking, like, oh, no, this, this new pastor we hired is a liar. But this, that's, <laughs> so, so confession time. So, um, for example, when I was in seminary, it was like a, a three-year program, had a lot of leadership over the college ministry, um, and because I was like the intern, when I was teaching, I was also like preparing the handout, um, I was setting up the chairs, I was putting out the handout, I was basically doing everything, right? Um, so one night I was, I was teaching, and we had a double-sided handout, and this uh, college ministry took place on Friday nights, and it would be like... 7, 7 p.m. is when it starts. It would be like 5.30 p.m., 6 p.m. when I'm like printing off the handouts. It's, so it's down to the wire. So I print out my handouts and put them on the chairs and everything's great. And then like two minutes before we start, someone comes up to me and like, hey, hey Jeff, did you realize the, the handouts are wrong? What had happened was the front page was, was correct. But then when you, when you turned it around when, like you would expect to the other side, the, the other side was upside down. I know, it's like, oh, shocking. But um, to me, it was like, I'm going to be seen as um, incompetent or, or doesn't have great attention to detail or isn't good with technology, you know, just this whole slew of things. And there, there's even someone that goes to our church that was in college ministry with me in Indiana where I went to seminary. And they were like, no, I don't, I don't remember that at all. Obviously, it wasn't a big deal, but to me, I was like, Here's what, in my heart, I didn't, I didn't end up doing it, so if that makes anyone feel better. But in my heart, I was like, I'm going to tell them, yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened to the, what was going on with the printer. Like, when the, the truth is, I had the settings wrong, and then I didn't check what I was printing out and just, like, put it out. But what I'm going to say is, man, I don't, I don't know, I, I printed out, and I don't know what was going on with the printer. This is, this is just how it came out. And, and so um, what, I'm, what I'm doing, right, is... Um, putting the blame off of me so, so I can still look like I'm self-sufficient and have good attention to de- detail and super competent, right? In ministry, you always want to look like you have all these things down and, and everything's great. <clears throat> and putting all that on the printer, like it doesn't, it doesn't hurt anyone, right? It's just like, oh, this is the printer, you know, it's, what do you do? <laughs> and I'm, I'm protecting myself, right? I'm after this idol of the praise of man, and so to get it, I'm going to lie and say that was the printer's fault when in, in reality it was mine. 
So maybe it's like that. Maybe it's for you, it's, it's kind of these little excuses that are actually lies that are like, I'm, I'm just going to kind of protect my reputation, no need to embarrass myself needlessly sort of thing. But, but maybe it is that kind of what we were talking about before, where there's a, there's a hidden sin that I enjoy that I'm, I'm trying to protect. Um, is, there, is there anywhere like that in, in your life that with the Lord's help we need to kind of root out or, or work on? So that was kind of point two, sin to avoid, this whole thing with Ananias and Sapphira and, and that deceit. Point three, then, is the promise to trust that God is using everything for good. God is using everything for good. And we're going to pick it up, Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and we're going to go till verse 16. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people, By the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Whether it's the death of Ananias and Sapphira, whether it's this radical generosity the church is showing and providing, whether it's these healing and and the other miracles the apostles are doing, God is using all of it to advance his church, right? I mean, looking at at verse 14, saying more people than ever were becoming believers. We've already heard in Acts about uh, kind of as the the church is starting and things like that, Peter preaches a sermon and thousands of, of men, thousands of households come to know the Lord. And we're being told here that more people than ever are becoming believers. That's crazy. More people than ever are becoming believers. God is using these things that are happening in the church, as weird as they may seem, like two people dropping dead after they lied. God is using those things to further his church and to glorify himself. Something as, as tragic as these deaths, wonderful as these miracles of healing. And he's, he's using these things to bring his kingdom here on earth, right? God's kingdom was kind of established here. on It's, it's the already but not yet, like so many things of, of this time and redemptive history we're in. God is, and Jesus has already brought his kingdom to earth. Jesus brought his kingdom uh, and, and kind of established that with his, his death on the cross. And we see that here, like, right? People are being healed. Uh, thousands of people are coming to know Christ. People are being generous and sacrificing and giving to one another. But there's obviously a not yet, right? Obviously, Ananias, excuse me, Ananias and Sapphira are not perfect, right? Those people that were healed could get sick again. And we know that all those people that, that were around are, have long since died. But we can enter into that kingdom and be a part of that kingdom work because Jesus has made a way for us, right? All of us are, are more like Ananias and Sapphira in all this uh, kind of story of we, we have sinful desires. We, we have sinned in our past. And if it was just up to our righteousness, things we've done, 
That wouldn't cut it, right? We, would, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't make it through the door of, of God's kingdom. But Jesus made a way. So, so when Jesus came down and died for us on the cross, he lived that perfect life we couldn't. So if we put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and, and confess him as Lord, we can have his righteousness and, and we can be a part of his kingdom and we can have everlasting life with him and we'll see that kingdom fully inaugurated at the new heavens and new earth where there won't be any more sickness. There won't be need to heal people from sickness. There won't be any more death. And for now, this promise of, of that future kingdom, the future time with Christ, of a new heart so that we can be generous, all these things are for believers. So if you're not a believer, these, these promises aren't for you. They don't apply. But they could today. And I'd really encourage you to think about it. Take that step today. So put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you say, man, I don't know, I kind of have, have these, these objections, or I'm just not sure because these other things I got going on in my life, or I don't understand, or could be anything. Be happy to sit down. I would make time any, any day, any time to, to have that conversation with you, to, to talk through that with you. I'd love to uh, just, just chat about that with you. So if that's you, let me, let Pastor Dave, let one of the elders, let somebody know before you, you leave today that you'd like to talk about that. But for those of us who have made that step, we've, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, because we've done that, because he's given us a new heart, and because we have that new hope, then we're free to pursue being generous and truthful and to worship the Lord because we know Jesus has finished that work on the cross. And we don't need to, like Ananias and Sapphira, have this, this perfect reputation or try to be perfect or anything like this because Jesus has already accomplished that for us. And so in just a minute, when we pray and we're going to respond in worship and the worship team is going to come back up, I just want us to think about even just who we're worshiping when we do that, right? It's the God who, when there, when there was no way, when we couldn't do it on, on our own, God has, has made that way for us. And he gave us this, this ultimate example of generosity and sacrifice when, when he sent his son to die for us, right? Only innocent man ever to die. <laughs> when we didn't deserve it, he came down and died for us, this ultimate generosity and sacrifice. And now, having received that from him, we're free then to be, to be generous and to sacrifice for those around us and, and doing that imitate the sacrifice he made for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for um, your death on the cross and for the Father, for sending Jesus to die for us when we didn't deserve that, right? We, we deserve to end up just like Ananias and Sapphira. Thank you for his example of, of sacrificial love and generosity and how, how we've received that from him. And now we can show that same sacrificial love and generosity to others. Pray that you would uh, give us a, a new heart, one that doesn't desire... Um, money or our reputations or any other idol more than 
pleasing you. Help us to be faithful in these things and and pursue righteousness and pursue you and, and to be filled with your Holy Spirit. But most of all, just pray that you would help us to respond to what you've done for us on the cross and respond to your word and the truth it has for us this morning in gladness and just delight in worshiping you. We ask all these things in the name of that son who died for us and made a way. Amen.